What is up, everybody? It's the Raw Prospect Podcast. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Amy Nixon, uh, college student at Bethany College. Uh, this is episode 78, our NBA preview. Uh, and joining me from Austin, Texas, the stat king himself, Michael Wing. What is up? What's up, Amy? I'm really excited for this. As we talked about in our last podcast, which is now up on YouTube, um, our Wednesday episode, our NFL episode, we were going to be doing this, but now we are going to be splitting it into the two conferences as we have in the past instead of just doing one mega preview all in one episode. So today we're doing the Eastern Conference, and then this weekend we will be doing the Western Conference. So keep an eye out for that. It's been a minute since we talked NBA. I don't think we've talked NBA since like either the end of the finals or like the very start of free agency, maybe. We'd have to go back and check on that, but it's been a long time. So, but the season starts on Tuesday. So we have to, we have to talk about it now. Right. Um, so let's, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Yep. All right. So, um, this is going to be the Eastern Comets preview. We're just going to go from top to bottom based on the standings from last year, just previewing each team. Um, and that starts us off with the Philadelphia 76ers, the team that's been in the news lately, or the team yeah. with a player that's been in the news lately. Um, they went 49 and 23 last year. Um, Notable signings is they they signed uh, Andre Drummond to a one-year deal. They signed Georges Niang from the Jazz. They re-signed Danny Green for Comcourt Moss. Um, and that's really it in terms of notable signings. Uh, but uh, what, what's your thoughts on the 76ers right now? With, with the Ben Simmons stuff aside, like what's your outlook on the team? Um, I expect the 76ers to still be a top four team in the East, as long as they, of course, stay healthy. I don't know what their over-under is. Ben Simmons, stuff aside, you look at this team, you still have three and D players like Danny Green, uh, Matisse Thibel, um, guys off the bench. Uh, I actually don't hate Shake Milton uh, filling in for Ben Simmons at that point guard position uh, if Ben Simmons ends up not, I guess, playing uh, the first couple games. They have Seth Curry now. They have Danny Green. They have uh, scoring threats like Tobias Harris. Uh, we all know Joel Embiid is going to be one of the best uh, centers in the league, uh, if not the best. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, it's hard to know because it seems like the report said Ben Simmons showed back up to the facilities uh, in the front office and the coaches weren't even like expecting him to be there. I don't know like the level of communication there is right now. I think he's just there because he realized that um, 
he came to the realization that he wasn't going to get paid and he was losing lots of money every day he missed not being there. Um, so I still think it's a possibility that he's just there to get his paycheck and not really play because he has uh, voiced his, um, I guess, desire not to ever play for this um, particular franchise again. Um, and it hurts his trade value. Um, just, you know, he's already, I think, hurt his trade value a lot just based off his performance uh, in last year's playoffs and then also uh, what's been done this offseason. But I still really like their roster. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, but I um, – just looking at – just looking at it on paper, I still think they can be a top-four team in the West. Um, the East, yeah. Um, the East, sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Um, this team is just going to come down to how good is Joel Embiid right now? Like, can he – continue to play at the MVP level that he was playing at last year? And if the answer is yes, which um, I, it's fair to assume that he can keep that up, um, then there's no reason for me to see, like, that they would drop anywhere lower than four, as you said. Um, this team's calling card is obviously the defensive end of the floor. That's going to be a huge key for them. Um they were sixth in opponents points per game last year, but they were even better in terms of uh, defensive opponents uh, defense per 100 possessions. Uh, I don't have the stat right in front of me, but uh, throughout all of last year, they were one of the top defensive teams in the league. And if they can just continue that and lean on Joel Embiid and the shooting that they have around him. That's one of the things that's underrated about this team now is the fact that they have shooters all throughout this roster, um, really other than Ben Simmons. So um, I think this, the actual makeup of the roster really fits well around Joel Embiid. Um, probably excluding Ben Simmons. Right. Yeah, I mean, if, in the worst-case scenario, meaning Ben Simmons doesn't play, um, what the Sixers really lose with Simmons not playing is, I guess, uh, that passing component that he provides, that floor general component that he provides, and then also a little bit of, I guess, transition potency they won't be as good in transition or as potent in transition, but there's still a good amount of quality players on this roster. And as you mentioned, they have shooting. And I think um, some, of the, some of the additions they've added to their bench will also help. I really like Gorgeous Niang. I think he's going to be a nice plus for their second unit um, in terms of what he provides. Uh, and you just look at it, I mean – uh, we all know what Cork Moss has done in the past. Um, I just really like – I really like their team. I don't think uh, not having Ben Simmons out there is a total disaster. Um, and I think they also added Andre Drummond, which should be some nice depth, right, um, in terms of size 
rebounding and um, some of those things that he provides off the bench. So I think there's a nice yin and yang uh, to what they have here. Uh, but I don't think they're in the elite tier of teams in this league without Ben Simmons. Uh, so top four, top five C in the West is, I think, a realistic expectation. As long as they can get a good 60, 65 games out of Joel Embiid. Yeah. Um, looking at this uh, Vegas win projections, um, they're projected 50 and a half wins, uh, according mm-hmm. to Vegas. Um, and they're projecting them to be, uh, based on their win projected win total, they would be third in the East because they have only the Nets and the Bucks ahead of them, um, which I think is about right. Um, I think if I were to bet, I'd say under, but I do think uh, realistically they will be in that three or four seed. Um, but addressing... Oh, well, let's get your thoughts on uh, the over-under first before we address the elephant in the room, which is Ben Simmons. Um, 15 and a half, I think that's right about where it should be. Um, I mean, I guess I know the safe play would be to go under because they don't have Simmons. You still really don't know how many games you're going to get out of Joel Embiid, although you hope it's you hope it's enough to get them to that point. If he's playing at an MVP level and the rest of this roster is healthy, I still think they can make it over uh, that 50-win mark. Uh, so I think I'd, I'd say maybe a little over, although I know that I guess the smart play might be under. Uh, I think they can get – 51, 52 wins, be like 52 and 30 in that three or four seed. Uh, so that that's sort of what I project. Right. And um, it's really not an exact science. It's a lot different than uh, projecting the NFL where there's a lot less games. So um, right. it's just a fun exercise seeing that. It's not really a, a real prediction. Um, so anyway, uh what where do you think Ben Simmons will end this season? Do you think he stays on the Sixers? Um, I, let's just get your thoughts on that first, and then I'll add my take in after. Um, I do not think he will be uh, in the Philadelphia 76ers organization at the end of the season, whether he continues to sit out or he ends up playing. Um, at some point in terms of landing spots I know there are nine or ten teams reported to be interested or um, reported to be inquiring constantly about acquiring um, Ben Simmons I don't know those teams off the top of my head. Um, So I think if you look at those teams, I think those would be the teams that 
you would have to, I guess, consider when we have this conversation about where uh, we think he'll end up. Um, I will pull up those teams. Maybe you want to give your take, and then I can give my take based on where I think the best landing spots should be. Well, um, the rumors that I've heard, I've heard Minnesota thrown around here and there. I've heard Portland thrown around a little bit. Um, and I've also heard San Antonio. Um, but it's a weird situation because you have Ben Simmons, who's 24 years old, um, still fairly young. Um, and you have a wide range of teams in terms of where they want to be in the standings looking to trade for him. You're looking at uh, rebuilding teams looking to trade for Ben Simmons. And you also have teams like the Timberwolves who uh, haven't been successful, but are looking to take the next steps by the next step by trading for Ben Simmons. And then Portland who wants to, take a step up to winning a championship by trading to Ben Simmons. So it's a lot of different ranges um, that are interested in Ben Simmons. Uh, and it's just an interesting conversation in thinking like where, um, like where the, does the organization need to be at for Ben Simmons to really thrive um, is my thinking. Like, my thought process is maybe Ben Simmons needs to go to a rebuilding team and then just kind of have him as the focal point of the offense, build the shooting around him and then see what happens. Uh, but that also has other implications on this career that might be negative in terms of like just his popularity and everything like that. But I don't know. Right, it's tough. I mean, you have, as you mentioned, a talent, a player of his talent, 24 years old, with four years left on his contract. So he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage in not only getting, like, traded out of the organization, but also getting traded where he wants to be traded because, you know, we also have to consider this contract uh, that he's under. So... Um, you did mention one team that I think could be interesting, although I don't know if they have the young players and the assets to pull it off. Um, and that would be Portland. Um, I think if they want to take the next step, and I guess we can talk about, I guess we'll talk about them a lot more when we do our Western Conference preview, but I don't think you can win a championship with uh, – Dame and CJ together. I think you have to have more perimeter length than that. I think Simmons would give them that. Um, I think that's an interesting combination. Maybe like a CJ McCollum plus some young players and draft picks and a deal uh, for Simmons. But I don't know if that will be enough. But that was one team that you mentioned that I think would be, if he wants to compete, uh, possibly – of those teams that you mentioned, Portland might be an interesting destination uh, just off the top of my head. Um, but. Right. And um, as you said, 
the asking price Philly's asking for is just outrageous right now. Um, from what I've heard, they're looking at um, they're asking for CJ three first round picks plus two pick swaps, which is just extremely steep. Um, so I we'll we'll move on here uh, to our next team, but just really interesting stuff going on in Philly right now. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Right. Uh, our next team, a team that's also been in the headlines, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets, um, 48 and 24 last year, obviously traded for James Harden, making up to make up that big three, Kyrie, James Harden, and uh, Kevin Durant. Um, so what's your outlook on the Nets this year? Um, they are, of course, really talented. Um, I'm going to pull up their offseason. Um, I know they did a lot of things to sort of, I guess, add depth to their team at the very least. I know they re-signed Bruce Brown, a great energy piece um, off that bench. They added Patty Mills, which I really like as like a ball handler in that second unit, a guy who gives you floor spacing, a guy who even at, even, you know, in the later stages of his career um, will still work well in that offense, a guy who's been in every sort of situation, a veteran leader um, who is a sharpshooter from three, all of that stuff I think is great for them. Uh, who else did they add? Um, I don't know if you have it pulled up, um, but I think the biggest question, of course, for the for the um, Brooklyn Nets is health. Um, I think it's that simple. Um, you look at a guy like Kevin Durant. We know what he's been through with, you know, the torn Achilles a couple of years ago, dealing with hamstring injuries the past couple of years, especially last year, only playing half the season, and then. Um, seeming to, I guess, hurt himself again down the stretch uh, in last year's playoffs. We know about Kyrie Irving's situation. I guess we'll have to address that, uh, not only with the, the vaccine and all that stuff, but also with health. Um, he's only managed to play 74 games total in his two seasons in Brooklyn. And then you think about James Harden, who seems to be, I guess, the most durable of the big three there in Brooklyn. Um he even dealt with his fair share of issues uh, down the stretch last year with his hamstring and all that stuff. Um, and the guys they brought in, I mean, you have LaMarcus Aldridge, um, a guy who's coming out of retirement and has dealt with cardiovascular issues um, and all sorts of issues in his past. We know about that um, in San Antonio. Um, we, and we know he's aging. We know Blake Griffin, um, even though he had his moments last year, he's been through his fair share of injuries. I mean, this roster up and down, it's talent. And we know that they led the league in offensive um, efficiency rating last year, um, even though all those guys were hurt at certain points. And they all, the big three of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden only played uh, eight games to get eight games total together uh, the entire season. Um, we know they're talented and all this stuff, but I know it seems cliche, 
they have to be on the court together for it to for it to all come together. Um, so they're going to be a top two team in the East. They're going to win a lot of games in the regular season just because they're that explosive and powerful and offensively. Um, they can do a better job, obviously defensively and um, beating some of the uh, like lower tier teams in the league last year. They actually struggled a bit um, beating some of those teams. Uh, I have the stat somewhere in here, but yeah, they can do some things better, but they're going to be, they're going to win a lot of games. I don't know what the over under is, uh, but this will be a top two team in the East. If they stay healthy and they can load manage, I guess, properly throughout the regular season and be there at the end, uh, they're going to be obviously really hard to beat come playoff time. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah. So you mentioned some of their additions. So they added Paul Millsap. They added him on a $2.6 million deal. That's the, that's the one I was forgetting, but yes. Right. Patty right. Mills as well um, mm-hmm. on a $5.8 million deal. Um, they also re-signed Joe Harris, Joe Harris to mm-hmm. uh, $17 million. Um, but other than that, not a lot of really, uh, huge notable signings. I guess James Johnson is interesting. Um, wing depth is going to be big for them, but he's also an aging uh, player there. Um, but really, it's just how top-heavy this this roster is. Well, as you said, staying healthy is going to be so important because outside of those three guys, there's really no creation left. Um, I guess you could say Blake Griffin can create a little bit, but you don't really want to rely on that at this stage in his career. And we, we saw what relying on that uh, looks like in his later stages in Detroit. So the big thing is just going to be staying healthy. As long as James Harden and Kevin Durant are on the floor. Um, I mean, they're going to win a lot of games, as you said, their over-under is uh, the highest in the league at 56-and-a-half. And I think uh, if they're able to just, like, sift through all the drama and still, like, have a good, um, solid showing on the court, they, they can easily go over that. What was the over-under again? 56 and a half. 56 and a half. Yeah, they can easily go over that, um, I think. I mean, 48 wins uh, last year in a 72-game season, and that's with all the injuries. So if they stay a little bit more healthy, I mean, how explosive this offense is. I mean, last season, 128 points per 100 possessions. Uh, Actually – that was in the playoffs uh, in the first round against Boston. I'm reading this wrong. They had the most efficient regular season offense uh, in regular season history last year, scoring 117 points per 100 possessions in the regular season. And they upped that total in the postseason when the defenses get, you know, more condensed and it's hard to, it's hard to score. Um, so, yeah, it's just all about, 
staying healthy, actually playing games together. Uh, but one thing I did want to say is uh, Patty Mills, um, a lot of people are really high on his addition to the team. Uh, he's one of four players, uh, along with J.J. Redick, Paul George, and Steph Curry, who have shot who has shot 40% or better on 200 catch-and-shoot three-pointers in five of the last uh, – in each of the past five seasons. Um, so we know that he, along with Joe Harris and all the other shooters that they have, will be key uh, in their success. Um, but, yeah, there's really not much else to say. I mean, it's a super team. They just need to stay healthy and maybe defend a little bit better. Um, but that just, I think, comes down to focus and consistency at that end of the floor. And even if they don't, um, they're going to win a lot of games because they have Kevin Durant and James Harden, even if Kyrie's not out there. And this is the team to beat in the East. Um, right. Just off the pure talent alone. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving, whether he's going to be on the floor at all this season. Um, but if they do get Kyrie back, um, they are the team to beat for sure. Um, but for me, I think actually without Kyrie in the mix, I would actually lean towards the Bucs. Um, yeah. But even then, it's extremely close. And these top two guys, Harden and Durant, um, are more than enough to get the job done. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm liking the outlook overall for the Nets. It's just a lot of off-the-court drama going on right now. But once they get on the court and everything calms down a little bit, um, it, it'll, it'll turn out fine. So, Right. And should I remind the people, Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks, first game on Tuesday um, on TNT at 6.30 p.m. That is the opening game of the NBA season, so be sure to watch that. Right. Um, but as we move on to, I believe, the next team, which is the Milwaukee Bucks, correct? Right, right, exactly. Milwaukee. Um, the, de the defending, defending champions. champs. Yep, the defending champs. And, you know, I'm going to start this off by saying – like a lot of people have been talking about um, how Giannis is looking in the preseason so far, um, stepping into jump shots confidently and smoothly, um, hitting mid-range, like turnaround fadeaways, hitting pull-ups. Um, he's clearly put in the work to take the next step. Um, whether he's able to hit that shot consistently is yet to be seen, but um, the key thing to me is the confidence in it. Um, it's going to open up so many things for this team. Um, just, just, just to give one example, uh, there was one play in the game against the Jazz where um, I believe it was Middleton and Giannis running the two-man game, the pick and roll. So Giannis short rolls through around the free throw line. Um, Favor steps up to take away that little jumper. Middleton cuts and then Giannis just hits him uh, on an easy layup. Um, little things like that where the big has to step up instead of 
staying back and giving him that shot is going to open up the lane for not only him, but all of his team, all of his teammates as well. And it's just going to make everything so much easier on them. So, um, I mean, credit to him for putting in the work and, um, this Bucks team, I mean, they, I mean, they brought most everybody back. I mean, the main person that you'd say uh, they lost is obviously PJ Tucker, but even then, I think, I think they'll be fine without it as long as Dante DiVincenzo stays healthy. But what's your take on the Bucks this year? I really like Milwaukee. I do. Um, I know some people weren't as high on their offseason, and I don't know why. Um, I've listened to some podcasts that say the Bucs didn't really do anything to get better um, this offseason. But when you really look at it, they have who potentially could be sooner than later if, as you mentioned, he starts to – become a threat, like a jump shooting threat, more of a guy who can hit jump shots off the dribble, step into pull-up threes like KD, all this stuff, he might be the best regular season player in the league this upcoming season, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo. When you have him, you're set up really well. And then you have the two other um, semi-stars. Chris Middleton, who was huge, came up huge in the playoffs, and then Drew Holiday. Um, so you have that those two to three all-star, um, all, you know, all-pro caliber players. I don't know if that, what's the word? All-NBA. All-NBA <laughs> players. I'm still in the football mindset here. Uh, but in terms of the offseason, right, what I was originally talking about, um, look, they lost P.J. Tucker, okay? But I think that even though he was – he played the integral part in, I guess, defending a white-hot Kevin Durant in that series and slowing him down to the best of his ability, uh, with Milwaukee's situation, $19 million over the luxury tax currently um, – it wasn't in their best interest to re-sign a 36-year-old, less palatable, uh, 36-year-old P.J. Tucker um, with what, I guess, he gives you offensively. He didn't really give them much uh, in the finals. Um, he's just, at this point, a really gritty, uh, tough 3-and-D uh, player. And I think they got a similar guy at a cheaper price uh, in acquiring uh, Simi Ojale, uh through free agency. Um, if you look at some of the other moves that I really like, they signed George Hill, some depth, two years, $8 million. Uh, They also signed Rodney Hood, one-year minimum contract. They traded for Grayson Allen. And the reason I think they did that was because we know that Dante DiVincenzo, who they missed uh, in last year's playoffs, um, is going to miss at least the start of this season. So Grayson gives them a young shooter um, off that bench. Um, I think – and then they got Bobby Portis back, a key 
part of that playoff run and a bargain two-year, $9 million contract. Um, so you look at their team. It's Drew Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo when he comes back, but it's Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis Attentacumbo, Brooke Lopez is still there, George Hill, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, uh, Thanasis onto Takumbo off the bench, uh, and Bobby Portis as well. Um, that this roster goes 10, 12 deep. Um, I think it's their top two team in the East. Um, but I just think, did they do enough? Do they have enough to keep up with Brooklyn uh, if Brooklyn stays healthy? Um, that's really the main question here. Um, I think the, the regular season at this point is sort of irrelevant for the Bucks. I mean, it matters, but it really doesn't. It just impacts their ability to defend their title come next spring and where they'll be positioned uh, in terms of playoff seeding. Uh, and winning more games than Brooklyn does would be nice because then you get, of course, the home court advantage if a playoff series were to reemerge between those two teams. But look, I don't think it matters. I think they're set up really well to defend their title. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up first in the East. Right. I, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, I think since a lot of the pressure is like is lifted off of Giannis's shoulder, that first title is um, already his, like he already got it. Um, that's going to free him up to just play, you know, and that we've seen it before. We saw LeBron in 2013, the year after he won his first, play the best basketball of his career. Um, but not only that, but also have the best shooting season of his career, um, which I think has a lot to do with just the mental aspect of winning that first championship. Uh, I mean, it, it, can't do harm, obviously, but um, I think there's really something to be said there about maybe Giannis can shoot the ball a little bit better this year and really improve to that next level of just, just uh, unguardability. I don't right. know if that's a word, but you get the point. <laughs> okay. So that's the defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so, so far, we've done who I think will st- end up being the top three teams in the East. Um, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. So now we jump to, I believe, who was the four seed last year? Was it New York Atlanta? Knicks. New York Knicks. Yep. Um, how about you start us off with this one? All right. Well, um, New York. I don't, I don't even know what to think about New York this year. Um, I mean, they added, they added Kemba Walker, obviously. I mean, if he's healthy, then I think that'll be a positive. Um, but really, as long as this team maintains their identity, which is defense, um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be 
solidly in the playoffs. Um, but the problem for me is the East has obviously gotten better. The league, the league overall, I feel like has gotten deeper, especially in the West. Um, so I think that maybe might hurt them. They may not get those close games that they were able to pull out last year just simply because they just don't quite have the firepower, in my opinion. I mean, there's only so much Kemba can give you at this stage in his career. I mean, if the only thing that would really hugely change my outlook on the Knicks is if R.J. Barrett turns into an all-star this year, which, I mean, I can see happening, but I'm going to have to see it before I can really project them to maintain their spot as a top five seed. Um, So, I mean, as of right now, I think the Hawks jumped them. I think the Heat jumped them. And I think at the very minimum, uh, as if they, and that's a big if, they will most likely fall below the sixth seed. So that's where you really get into some really, uh, crowded waters there because that because you can make an argument that the Celtics are better than them as well, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, so New York, yeah. I feel like will most likely be in a playing situation. The Knicks are a tough team to, um, I guess, forecast for this upcoming season. Um, look, they were the surprise of last year. We obviously had the, the uprising of a player like Julius Randle becoming an all-star. Um, and they were great defensively. They were fourth in the league in defensive rating. That was the, the main reason why they were able – to finish with a 41 and 31 record and get home court advantage the first seat or the first round of the playoffs. Uh, they did end up losing to the Atlanta Hawks because they didn't really have much punch offensively. They were bottom 10 in the league in offensive rating, uh, even with the, the rise of a guy like Julius Randle and uh, the spurts that you get from Derrick Rose off the bench. An RJ, a young player like RJ Barrett. Um, so they did go out and they added Kimball Walker, who, look, um, he wasn't good last season, particularly. Uh, he dealt with some injuries and he wasn't really himself when he was on the court. And that's proven in the numbers. But his effective field goal percentage in his career at Madison Square Garden. Uh, is his, is 55.3%, third best in any arena that he has played in. So maybe, who knows? Maybe he can, I guess, return to his old self. And if he does, that will help them significantly. They also added Evan Fournier, um, who struggled after he had COVID last season, but still shot 46% from three-point range last year in Boston. So that gives them some more um, scoring in that backcourt. So maybe their offense 
um, I guess, improves a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if it does, if those two players are healthy and R.J. Barrett can take that next step and you still have Julius Randle um, and guys like Derrick Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, who I really like off the bench, uh, and maybe Obi Toppin takes the next step uh, in his, uh, uh, what is this, his second season? Um, yeah. Uh, so, and you have Mitchell Robinson, of course. So there are some pieces here that are interesting. I think the offense will improve a little bit. I'm hoping Kimball Walker's healthy. If he is, it'll improve a little bit, but I think the defense is bound to take a little, a, a small step backward. And because of that, I don't think they can, um, especially since the season is longer this year, um, and, you know, it was a little bit easier for them to do that in 72 games rather than 82 games. Uh, I think they'll probably still make the playoffs, but uh, – and you're right. They could end up in the playing situation as like a seven or eight seed. I still foresee them making the playoffs, but I also don't think they're going to have as much success as last year. Um, so they're an interesting team to talk about. Uh I really like what you brought up in terms of R.J. Barrett. Um, he improved um, from the three-point line and free throw line last season, but I guess uh, there's always that next step that you have to take. And if he becomes like borderline all-star, uh, it could it could get interesting in New York. Um, so, but from where they were just like two or three years ago, I think Knicks fans would take this. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and we're also going to have to see um, what Julius Randle brings you after this year because this is the last year on his contract, and um, he didn't really show what they were looking for in the playoffs last year. So um, I really want to see how he responds and if he's able to redeem himself in the playoffs as the guy, you know, so um, – I want to I want to see that. That's a storyline that I really want to keep an eye on because um, I want to see Julius Randle um, be the guy. He's a guy who's been around the league for a while and has the talent. Um, and it was good to see him take that next step last year. So it's time to him. It's time to hit for him to uh, take the extra step after the next step, which is okay. performing in the playoffs. So. One thing, since you deem me to be the stat king, um, I'm going from now on as we go through the rest of the East and the um, the West, whenever we do that this weekend, I'm going to be giving you one interesting stat to know about each team from here on out. Um, so here's your stat for the New York Knicks. Just to ponder, for the audience to ponder, for you to ponder. And maybe you can make a comment about it after I say it. The Knicks last season were the only team that ranked both in the top 10 in three-point percentage. They were actually third in three-point percentage, 39.2% clip. But in the bottom 10 in percentage of their shots that came from three-point range, 34%. So they didn't take a lot of threes. But they made a damn like good amount of those threes that they did take. Um, they also led the league in clutch three-point percentage. 
They shot 40 out of 95, 42% from beyond the arc when the score was within five points in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime. So that is your stat to know for the New York Knicks. Hmm. Well, the the three-point attempts that um, didn't surprise me, but um, the three-point percentage being that high, that that's what surprised me there. Because you'd think that if you have a high percentage, you would naturally want to take more. So it's just it just makes me think like, what were the statisticians th- like doing for that team? Like maybe they just didn't have the power to, or the uh, their voice didn't have any uh, hold. But interesting, interesting stuff there. Uh, but moving on uh, to the next team, the Eastern Conference runner-ups from last year, who were actually two games from making it to the finals, believe it or not, the Atlanta Hawks. What's your outlook for Atlanta? Um, well, it all comes down to Trey Young at the end of the day. Um, I mean, I think he's legit. Obviously, he's a top uh, – it, it's tough to say. He's around the top – 15 players in the league, I'd say. Obviously, an all-NBA player. Um, and I just really like the young talent that they've built up. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what we get from Cam Reddish this year. Um, Cam Reddish showed, like, some flash in the playoffs, but he doesn't get – he hasn't gotten the uh, playing time because of injury. Um, so, Cam Reddish is going to be a – huge guy to look at for this team and also um deandre hunter like if he can take the next step and be and go from a 15 to 16 point per game guy to a 19 point per game guy then that would be a huge huge that would make a huge difference for this team Um, because you already have john collins there who um I believe re-signed. I'm I'm not entirely sure on that. Um, it says right here he's making 23 million this year, so that doesn't seem like a rookie deal. Um, so I'm guessing he re-signed. Uh, but yeah, I mean I'm I feel really good about this team. I I don't think they're contenders per se. Um, I think they're a trade away from that, but yeah, I like the versatility up and down the roster. They have the ability to go small. Um, they also have a lot of versatile defenders around Trey Young, which is extremely important. Um, so you can hide him defensively. And also the shooting up and down the roster as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Atlanta's been interesting. Um, you look at their off-season moves. We'll do that first, and then we'll go on to talk bigger picture. John Collins was signed to a five-year, $125 million contract uh, this past off-season. So they have him um, in the mix 
for the long term. Um, they, I think they had a very good draft once again. Um, they drafted Jalen Johnson, the 20th pick out of Duke. I think he could turn out to be a very impactful player. Uh, and Sharif Cooper, one of the most prolific scoring point guards uh, in last year's draft out of Auburn in the second round. That's a steal, I think. Uh, we didn't talk much about the draft at all, so maybe we'll do that more uh, at a later time. Uh, but I think they had a very good draft and a very good free agency period. They also were able to re-sign guys like Solomon Hill, uh, Lou Williams, one year, $5 million. Uh, Gorgi Diang is another addition I really liked. He gives them some size and depth off the bench. Uh, one year, $4 million for a guy of his production. I think it's good value. Um, they obviously extended the contract of Trey Young and Clint Capella. Um, so they had a really good offseason. Uh, all five of their starters, it looks like, are signed through at least 2023. So not just this season, but next season as well. Um, so they have stability. Um, this was a team that last year, through the first half of the season, really didn't, they sure didn't look like the team that they ended up to be. Uh, they were 14 and 20 at about the halfway mark, uh, but they went 27 and 11 the rest of the way. They blitzed their way into a surprise trip to the conference finals, like you said, where they were beat, unfortunately, in six games by the eventual champion, Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they had the transition from Lloyd Pierce to Nate McMillan. Um, and look, even at the time of their 14 and 20 record, they had about a neutral point differential at that time. And they were sort of treading water despite injuries to Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, and Gallinari. So I think when you look at this team, you have Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Hunter, who I'm going to talk about when I conclude my thoughts about the Hawks in a second, John Collins and Clint Capella in that projected starting lineup. And then off the bench, you have Kevin Herter, uh, Gallinari still. He's no longer at his peak, but he's a reliable shooter from deep. Cam Reddish, he's an interesting. Injuries have held him back, but he showed a few more glimpses of promise when he's been healthy. And then Lou Williams, who we all know is just a legendary guy coming off that bench, and he's still capable of creating his own shot and getting buckets for you off the bench. I really like this team, top to bottom. Um, I wouldn't, I won't be surprised if they uh, snag a top four seed. Uh, but I really think, and I think you said it, that DeAndre Hunter could be the key to unlocking the next step for uh, the Atlanta Hawks. And while they may need another uh, all-star next to Trey Young, which I think, or another premier player next to Trey Young, which I think they do. Um, you look at um, DeAndre Hunter. Um, let's see, where was I here? Yeah, DeAndre Hunter, right? Sorry, I lost my spot. Oh, here we go. So DeAndre Hunter, um, a guy from Virginia, a guy I really like. Um, long last since last season, he played three regular season games and five playoff games before suffering a meniscus tear in his right knee. Uh, 
But when he was on the floor, he was very intriguing, especially his role on defense in 329 total minutes when they had Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella on the floor together. And I know it's small sample size, but they were an elite defensive team, allowing just 96 points per 100 possessions, and they outscored their opponents uh, by 15 points per 100 possessions, which is absolutely insane. Um, so hopefully he can stay healthy. I think if he does and he takes a mini step forward um, offensively, which I think he's already done, um, they have a heck of a starting five and a heck of a team. Um, so I think I would project them to be overall a top four seed in the West when it's all said and done. And then your stat to know, I know I'm rambling, but your stat to know for the Hawks, it's, of course, about Trey Young. Uh, and you probably could have guessed this, but Trey Young has led the league in assists on dunks in each of his three seasons in the league, registering 160 assists on dunks uh, in, his, in the last three seasons. That's 34 more than any other player, uh, or that was last season. 34 more than any other player. And he's the only player with at least 125 total assists to multiple teammates. Uh, 141 assists to Collins and 136 assists to Clint Capella. So there you go. Yeah. Um, I think I saw that stat at, on Twitter somewhere, but still, um, I mean, it, it definitely um, – I mean, you can see it on the floor when you watch him play. I mean, it, it's very it, – it shows his style of play for sure. It shows in his style of play. Um, and But one last thing I want to point out with the Hawks is they did pick up DeLon Wright in a trade, um, and that was actually one of the holes this team had last year is just that backup point guard spot. They couldn't find anybody uh, to fill that role. They had Chris Dunn. And uh, they, I believe they had Rajon Rondo for a while until they traded him to the Lakers. Uh, but that backup point guard spot um, was in uh, turmoil the entire season, it felt like. And they had to put Lou Williams at the backup point during the playoffs. So with DeLon right in there, he's crafty. He's a solid playmaker and a decent shooter as well. So I really like that pickup. I do too. Yeah. So Who's our next team, uh, Miami. Yeah, Miami Heat. They were busy this off season. Uh, they traded for Kyle Lowry uh, to make up to form their big three of Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo. Um, but to me. That's not the that's not even the biggest thing I want to point out with this team. The biggest thing for me is can the young talent like the Bam Adebayo's of the world, the Tim, the the Tyler Heroes of the world. Not I don't know why I said Tim, um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can can the young guys take the next step? Because 
Jimmy Butler is who he is at this point. Kyle Lowry is who he is at this point. Um, but for the Miami Heat to be great and for them to really compete in the Eastern Conference, they need Tyler Hero to yep. take the next step and reach his potential sooner rather than later. Um, and then Bam Adebayo, they need him to be not only better overall, but they, he, they just need him to be more aggressive. Um, you saw it so many times in the playoffs last year where he had the ball in the mid-range and he's just, um, for one reason or another, just really just hesitant to shoot. Um, not sure why, but um, it was just very, very weird. Um, he just wasn't very... Um, involved in the offense in the playoffs. Um, yeah. But other important moves is they picked up Markeith Morris, obviously. Um, and they picked up PJ Tucker, who we mentioned earlier, left the uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks. So this team is going to be fantastic defensively. Um, I feel pretty confident in that. Um, but man, if this just if this is offense um, can be a little bit more consistent and a little bit more refined, um, this team can make some noise. I'm smiling because on NBA.com, where you know I'm reading an article, they have the Miami Heat ranked fifth in the East, and in key additions. They have thickness, and they have, in parentheses, Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker. <laughs> uh, so that's why I'm sort of smirking. Um, but, yes, in terms of the Miami Heat, uh, key additions, Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris, veterans. Um, we know what those guys bring to the table if you are a fan of the NBA. They did lose a good amount as well. Goran Dragic out of there. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, he's gone now. Uh, Trevor Ariza and Andre Iguodala are also gone. So I think it balances itself out. You mentioned the Heat pride themselves on defense, and it's evidenced by the fact that they have ranked top 10 in defense 18 of the past 25 seasons. And I believe they've ranked top 10 in defense every single season of Eric Spolstra's tenure. I believe I read that somewhere. I will fact check that, but I believe that's what I read. And if that's true, it's just unbelievable uh, to think about. Um, I think this team is set up well. My biggest question is how the offense is going to function if they do, in fact, have everyone healthy. We know, as I said, they can defend at a high level. Uh, but if Victor Oladipo is healthy this season, that's a big if. Um, a lineup of potentially Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo, um, uh, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, and Bam Adebayo. I mean, that's a great lineup in terms of offense. Uh, you really wouldn't have a weak link. But we know the limitations of a Bam Adebayo offensively. You mentioned it. Just 38% of his um, – he shot just 38% on only 120 attempts from outside of 15 feet last season. 
So him needing to potentially expand his game. Uh, Butler shot 32% from 15 feet in out last season. And then P.J. Tucker um, didn't really shoot a lot at all last season. 4.7 field goal attempts per 36 minutes, ranked last among 468 qualified players who played at least 100, 100 minutes. So you're really still counting on if everyone's healthy, movement and quick triggers of the younger guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero to keep the defense on their toes because some of those guys do have limitations when it comes to, I guess, expanding and giving you floor spacing based on their performance um, last season. But look, I think Lowry will help that. Um, obviously, you would like to have Oladipo healthy, but if he's not healthy, we've seen them function without him. Um, so you're looking at uh, a team, uh, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Victor Oladipo, Markeith Morris, and so on. Um, your stat to know for the Heat, um, it's a big one, but I'll just say this. The Heat were 11 points per 100 possessions better with Jimmy Butler on the floor than they were with him off the floor um, last season. That was the sixth biggest differential among three, 233 players who played at least 1,000 minutes for a single team last season. Butler was one of two players, Rudy Gobert being the other, who played at least 1,000 minutes with the on-off differential of five points per 100 possessions um, on both ends of the floor. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. That's from Miami. Uh, take that for what you want. But I think, I think they're set up well to be a playoff team again. Um, yeah, and it, Probably and tops. Top six in the East. Yeah, I think um, the expectation for the Heat um, is definitely top four. I think they can do it. Um, but one point I wanted to make is um, I think we mentioned this last year when we were talking about the Heat is the 2021 Heat. Um, some of the uh, some of the players they lost um, in that offseason – between that time in the bubble and that 2021 season, um, they just were missing the toughness. They were missing that swagger that took them to the next level and, and helped them go on that run to the finals. And um, it felt like, it felt like it was Jimmy Butler and a bunch of finesse players. It felt like more like the 2017 Timberwolves than it did the 2020 heat. And I feel like they addressed that last year. They added um, tough defensive-minded players, but also just players with a lot of confidence and swagger. Uh, and I think that mentality returning to this team will make a huge difference. Um, whether that translates to regular season wins is going to be interesting, but I think this team in the playoffs, you're not going to want to play them. That's the bottom line. No. No, you're, you're really not. Um, so uh, let's move on to our next team. Yep. Who would that um, be? That's going to be the Boston Celtics, the seventh seed from last year. 
Um, man, I, uh, I apologize guys. I really have been out of the loop in terms of the NBA stuff. Um, uh, just with my summer job and everything that went on this summer, I just like missed out on a lot of the, uh, signings and different things that normally that I would be right on top of. So just bear with me here. Um, so let me pull up the Celtics. And going along with what he said, bear with me as well. Um, I'm going off two sources that I heavily rely on, and I think y'all should rely on. Um, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, it is absolutely fantastic for sports writing uh, and columns, previews, everything you could want, news everything you could want. They have offerings, discounts. I think it's extremely worth it uh, for like a one-year subscription. I think they even have free trials. You can try it out uh, for pretty cheap. It's fantastic. Uh, they have some of the best writers in the game, and they're, they're doing right now team-by-team -team previews. Uh, so that's what I have here on my phone. And then I also have NBA.com, which, of course, is free. Up and that's where I'm getting all my stats. Um, but going along with he said, what he said, I, I seem sort of scrambled too because I've been in the baseball and football mindset the past uh, couple months. Um, so we'll get back to where we were uh, in the middle of last season once the season begins and we start talking NBA more, but just bear with us uh, for these next couple episodes because right. it might seem we're a little bit um, not as sharp as we should be, but it's okay. Right. Exactly. Um, so for the Celtics, um, first things first, they picked up. Uh, all right. I lost where I was at. Okay. They picked up Dennis Schroeder. Um, I, that was one thing that I did see over the off season is just the memes um, of Dennis Schroeder, like how he turned down that huge bag. Oh man, poor Dennis yep. Schroeder. <laughs> um, yeah, he bet on himself, and it it didn't it didn't turn out great. They did a lot in the offseason. I can just go ahead and read off a list because I have it like right in front of me. If you want, yeah, go ahead. Um, so we got to start um, at a higher level. Obviously, Danny Ainge resigned. Uh, and Brad Stevens is no longer the head coach. He's actually the new president of basketball operations. So he's now in the front office. And they brought in a guy, an Ime Adoka, former assistant coach, longtime assistant coach with my San Antonio Spurs. Um, I think it's a good hire, but we can talk about it more here in a minute. Um, they traded uh, Kimball Walker, uh, Al Horford, and uh, Moses Brown to Oklahoma City before, obviously, Kimba Walker was, um, I guess, released and signed with the New York Knicks. Yep, yep. Um, they traded for Josh Richardson as well. They acquired um, – uh, Chris Dunn in a trade. They traded away Tristan Thompson, got Chris Dunn. They got 
as you mentioned, uh, uh, Dennis Schroeder. Um, they extended the contract of Marcus Smart, which was a big storyline out in Boston, four years, 77 million. Uh, they also uh, gave Josh Richardson a one-year, um, $12 million deal, extended his contract one more year. They extended Robert Williams as well, four years, $48 million plus incentives. They signed Ennis Cantor, one-year minimum. Uh, they signed in a shooter, one-year, $5 million. Uh, and they also um, lost Simi Ojale and Taco Fall. And that's a long list of <laughs> the Boston Celtics. New, and they obviously um, traded away Evan Fournier as well. Um, so they did a lot. It's a lot, to, it's a lot to talk about. And after finishing uh, 500 last season, sort of barely making the playoffs. Um, it's a lot of, it's a lot to talk about here. So what do you think in terms of overall outlook for the Celtics? Um, I mean, I think first off, I mean, there's a lot of positives just right off the bat. Um, I mean, obviously bringing in Al Horford, um, obviously they've had a, they've had trouble um, finding pieces for the center position for a while now. Um, and I think just bringing back Al Horford, it doesn't, doesn't make it perfect, but um, I think his skill set complements his team well in terms of his um, his mobility um, and his three point shooting. So uh, I think just all of his skills in terms of his passing and different things like that um, really um, can stabilize this lineup a little bit, um, and then obviously. Um, Josh Richardson, who, um, as a Mavs fan, I watched basically um, almost every game, uh, basically every game that I could last year for the Mavs. And Josh Richardson, I mean, he he had a rough year. Um, he's a guy who likes to get to his spots in the mid range. He, uh, Boston fans, expect him to pump fake a lot on threes when he really should just take the shot. Um, and also expect him to miss long a lot on threes. That seems to be his miss every single time, which is weird. Uh, but yeah, uh, Josh Richardson, he's a fantastic defender, but, uh, whether he'll be able to shoot the ball consistently, uh, and return to that Miami heat form yet to be seen a little bit. Um, but the depth for this team is where I, I have my concerns. Um, obviously, they're looking for their young guards to take the next step. Obviously, and Aaron Neesmith, the guy they drafted last year, and Romeo Langford, guy who, that they drafted two years ago. So if they can um, have them in the rotation and they give them good – and they give the Celtics good minutes, um, then – then they'll be okay in terms of depth. This team is top-heavy, and they lean on the Tatum and Brown for their scoring. And I think um, based on the trends from the last few years, I think it's fair to say that Brown and Tatum will probably get even better again. So um, all of that bodes well for the Celtics. 
Um, I'm not too concerned about all the front office stuff. I think they made good moves. Um, so let's just all let's just see how this plays out on the court. That's all. That's all it is. Yeah, I I have an optimistic outlook for the Celtics. I think the East has obviously gotten deeper, and there's a lot of there's a lot more contenders now out East than there was three to five years ago, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, look, it all starts with Jason Tatum. Um, he, I don't think he um, made, I was reading here that he did not make um, one of the three all NBA teams, I do not think, last season. That was due to the, uh, I guess, the narrative around Boston finishing not finishing as high as some people expected, right? Uh, yeah, he didn't make any of the three All-NBA teams hurt by the narrative around Boston's season. Uh, but that did save the Celtics um, close to $30 million over the next five seasons. Um, so that's according to the Athletic. Uh, but I think biggest question here is how much better are Jason Tatum and – Jalen Brown going to get those are your two young stars Jason Tatum's case superstar uh level player um you look at what he did at the end of last year it was just ridiculous um he dropped 50 on the Washington Wizards in the playing game and then went on to drop another 50 piece in game three against Brooklyn in that first round um and he led the playoffs by a wide margin in terms of isolation possessions per game and points per possession while in isolation. So you saw him take that next step offensively. My question is how much better can it get? Um, probably a little bit, but I don't know if it's enough to elevate them um, into the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. But when you talk about Boston last season, one thing I did want to point out is um, they had some bad luck. And what I mean by that is, they played 43 games, the most in the league that were within five points uh, in the last five minutes of fourth quarter overtime last season. And they ended up going 17 and 26 in those games, which was fourth worst in the league. Um, but they went 19 and 10 otherwise. So maybe if they can flip that narrative and just be better uh, in late game situations, uh, they'll have a better uh, outcome in terms of not only regular season record, but playoff positioning. Um, so you look at the team overall, I think they could surprise some people, maybe get finished top five in the East, but I think it's going to be more six or seven seed once again, just because the East has improved so much. Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Robert Williams. He's obviously going to be a really important player um, in that starting lineup. And then Dennis Schroeder, uh, Peyton Pritchard, um, Al Horford, Ennis Cantor with size off the bench, Romeo Langford, their draft pick of last year, Aaron Nismith. Um, it's – there's a lot of talent here, but it's all about, I guess, we don't know particularly what Ime Adoka – uh, identity as a head coach is going to be? That's a big question. Um, and we also 
um, don't know about, I guess, some the, the depth of that um, front court, which has been an issue in the past couple of years. Um, so I don't know, man. Yeah, that's really I, all I have to say. Yeah, I think playing is probably um, what they're going to be trying to avoid most the entire season. I think get... they're probably going to be right around the bubble on that uh, a bubble for the play in the whole year, just fighting for that sixth yeah. seed. And that's one of the things that play in tournament really adds is just the, um, the dynamic of just the fight for the sixth seed is so much more intense now because you don't want to put your playoff hopes up to chance um, by going into that play in. Um, you saw that with the, uh, Warriors last year. I mean, they were they were incredible to close the year. Um, obviously, Steph Curry was most of that, but they they played great to close the year, and then all of a sudden, you lose two games and you're out of the playoffs. So, um, right. that six seed in both conferences is going to be so interesting to watch that race. Mm-hmm. So the stat to know for the Boston Celtics here on NBA.com is over the last two seasons, the Celtics are 40 and 45, a 47% winning percentage in games that were within five points in the last five minutes of fourth quarter and overtime. Um, So there you go. I sort of outlined that for you guys a little bit earlier. And they were 44 and 15 otherwise. So it's just these close games, I guess, aren't going their way, but we'll see um, how that plays out uh, this upcoming season. Yeah. Um, Holy crap, dude. This – I'm going to, like, kind of be honest for a second. We're not even halfway through, and it feels like this is taking so long. Oh, my goodness. We can do a couple more teams and cut it off if you want. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking we do the Wizards, the Bulls, and the Hornets, the the Horns and then the Bulls, I guess. And then I guess um, if you want to cut talk about the Raptors, that's up to you. Um, but yeah, we can just do three three or four more teams, uh, go through them really quickly. This is I think it's mainly because we are a bit scrambling for information. Um, We apologize, but this is what we have to do. Um, But, yeah, let's run through. We have to talk about the Bulls just because of how busy they were this offseason. I think it it warrants we talk about the Hornets. Um, And then also, I guess, the Wizards as well, since they were in the playing tournament last year. I don't think we need to talk about Toronto unless you really want to. Um, so let's just talk about those three teams and then wrap this up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about the Wizards. Um, All right. Obviously, the Wizards were extremely busy during the offseason. They traded Russell Westbrook. Um, it just felt like they they brought in a bunch of the Lakers just throwaways in that deal. They just didn't want 
they just seemed like they just didn't want um, Russell Westbrook anymore. They just didn't uh, fit what they wanted to do, um, which is really weird because then on the other hand, they kept Bradley Beal. So it kind of feels counterintuitive to um, trade Russell Westbrook like you want to um, rebuild a little bit and then keep Bradley Beal on the team. So this is kind of a weird collection of uh, talent right now. Obviously, they added veterans in that Russell Westbrook trade, picking up Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Montrez Harrell uh, and Kyle Kuzma. But um, other than that, other than Spencer Dinwiddie, which was their other signing this offseason, it's just, it's really just a collection of uh, young players around um, Bradley Beal. Yeah. Yeah, so really, this team just relies entirely on how these young, te- uh, young players um, improve and if they improve at all. Um, really, I'm, I'm looking at Denny Advia, Rihachimura, um, and maybe even uh, Aaron Holiday as, a, as guys who, if they can play, I'm like not even as like stars. I don't think it's realistic to say any of them will be to, to all of a sudden become all-stars or something. But um, if they can just be quality starters, um, especially on the defensive end, um, that would be huge for this team. Right. To be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot to say about the Washington Wizards. Yeah, I don't I think, you, I think you hit pretty much everything you need to hit there. Uh, I mean, look at this team last season, 34 and 38. Um they traded Russell Westbrook. That was their big move. They got back Caldwell, Pope, Kuzma, and Harrell. Um, a good mix of talent, I guess. A good, a decent return um, for Russell Westbrook. And they signed Spencer Dinwiddie, which I do think is a nice addition. Um, they weren't – they were just like a middle-of-the-road team, really, last season. Uh, 17th in offensive rating and 20th in defensive rating. So they weren't terrible on either end, but they weren't particularly good on either end, I guess. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's just all about how much can they get out of these younger players. Um, Do I expect them to be in the, like, mix of teams that – will be in, like, that bubble playoff area, possibly. I think they can still get there. They still have Bradley Beal, um, which will help. Um, and I don't know why they still have Bradley Beal, but they yeah, do. Yeah, honestly, like, it uh, just doesn't fit they, anymore. They also have, a, you know, a new coach um, with Scott Brooks now out. Uh, who do they hire? Uh, um, you know? They hired – Wes Unseld. Don't really know much okay. about him, but I know his playing I don't know career. much about him either. So he he's the new coach. Whenever you have a new coach, there's obviously a lot of questions surrounding that. Um, and, yeah, what happens with Bradley Beal potentially um, if this team doesn't – isn't winning? 
Um, that could get very interesting. Uh, we've been waiting for a potential Bradley Beal deal uh, for it seems like the past couple seasons, but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, or I don't think it's particularly come close to happening. Uh, but yeah, it's they're going to be a team. They're going to be around the bubble conversation, the playing conversation. Um, I think they have enough talent to be there, but I can't really give you an in-depth analysis on how this roster is actually going to come together and perform because I just don't know enough about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and um, this organization is just the definition of NBA purgatory. Just um, last three years, I think, it was – I think ninth seed, eighth seed, eighth seed. Um, so um, that really says all you need to know right there. Just um, I do like their their draft pick though of Corey Kispert. I just remember they drafted Kispert out of Gonzaga, four year college player, should be ready to contribute right away off the bench, and he's a great shooter, forty four percent from three over the last two seasons at Gonzaga. So. I do remember they drafted him, and I really like that addition. Um, and you look at it, Dinwiddie, Beal, Caldwell, Pope, who's a nice catch-and-shoot three-point, three-and-D, strong perimeter defender player. Hachimura is really going to have to take a step forward, another step forward, uh, but I think he can. And then I don't know about – I don't know much about Daniel Gafford at center, but uh, – yeah, uh, they, they have a couple nice pieces. They definitely have shooting off the bench. Uh, that's something I noticed here. Kispert um, and Bertans. I remember they have him now. So. Right, right. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll be it for them. Um, not really much to say. Uh, but this is an interesting team here. Chicago, the Chicago Bulls, they're, they're actually extremely intriguing um, just in terms of um, just the disparity in terms of like their ceiling and their floor. I actually lean more towards them being like a five, fifth or sixth seed, to be honest. I think um, they, they could fall anywhere from the fifth seed to the 10th seed. Um, possibly even higher than the fifth seed if they really mesh well. Um, but I think even if they do find their way into the top four seeds, I don't think they'll be true contenders just simply um, just because of the inexperience and just the firepower the top of the East really has. Um, right. But I think the fifth seed is attainable. Um, realistically, I think if you look at uh, the Sixers, they're potentially a team that could fall a little bit. And also um, the Knicks, like we said, um, they potentially could fall all the way out of the playoffs. And I think Chicago is really on the same tier as the Hawks. So um, other than the Heat, I think um, – the Chicago really might be the most improved team maybe overall in the whole league. Um, 
with all the moves they made. They added DeMar DeRozan. They added Alonzo Ball. Uh, they added a nice defensive piece in Alex Caruso off the bench. Um, and, and really just uh, this team is just going to be so fun offensively. Like I, like regardless of how well they do, I'm just so excited to just like um, watch them when they have national TV games mm-hmm. um, just because every single guy in that starting lineup is a good to great playmaker. I mean, look at uh, Lonzo Ball, obviously fantastic playmaker in the fast break, especially he's kind of mid in the half court, but um, still solid. Um, and then Zach Levine, he's had to create for their offense for years now and has developed into a solid playmaker. Um, and then DeMar DeRozan, very underrated playmaker. I'm sure you know all too well as a Spurs fan. Um, I believe he averaged, what, like eight assists last year? Something close to that, yes. Yeah, he's been fantastic as a playmaker these last few years. Um, and then at the four, who do they have? Um, Patrick Williams, uh, actually, I don't. He he's not that great of a playmaker, but a solid three and D player um, at the four. Um, and then Nikola Vucevic, it, who is, I think, probably the most underrated part of his game is probably his passing. I think he's just has a really nice feel um, in that mid post area to the free throw line. He's able to throw those uh, passes to cutters. Uh, really accurately and on time. Um, and that's just a really underrated skill to have at the center position. And that really opens things up. Uh, so just the skill from all five players on the floor that they can have in several different lineups is just really intriguing to me. And I think that really raises their ceiling. The Bulls were definitely – up there with teams that were the most active um, this offseason in terms of, I guess, the front office decided after they went out and acquired Vucevic, um, whenever that was, was that at the trade deadline? Yep, trade deadline. Uh, They got him at the trade deadline. They decided to go ahead and go for it. Um, And they ended up getting Lonzo Ball in a trade and also DeMar DeRozan in a signing trade uh, from the Spurs. So it's a nice starting lineup. Um, You mentioned the guys they have in this projected starting lineup. Lonzo Ball, who's a clear upgrade from what they had previously in terms of being a playmaker um, on both sides of the ball. Um, He'll be a nice fit in this offense. Zach Levine, we all know what he is as a scorer and a shooter. Um, you add DeMar DeRozan, three years, $85 million. Um, that's definitely you – know, we can talk about that another day. But he's still a very good player, um, borderline all-star, uh, veteran presence will be nice to go along with Zach Levine. And with those two players, you have actually – um, two of the best uh, players in the league at getting their own shot, especially in late game situations. Right. 
Right. Um, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan rank second and fourth in field goal attempts to tie or take the lead in the final minute of fourth quarter overtime over the last three seasons. Um, Levine ranks just behind Damian Willard in second. And uh, um, DeMar DeRozan is actually tied with Russell Westbrook. So you have guys who can get their own shot, whether it be just throughout the game or down the stretch in late game situations. You have playmakers, as you mentioned, and you have that three and D component with a couple of these other guys like Alex Caruso, um, Patrick Williams, who I still think can turn into a nice young player for them. Um, he had, you know, he has much to learn after promising rookie season that was delayed a bit uh, with injuries and such, but I think he can still turn into a nice player. The question for me um, is really the depth off the bench. I don't see a whole lot after Alex Caruso and Kobe White. Um, maybe I'm missing something here, but uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to be improved. Um, I think they can make the playoffs, uh, but I think I don't think they can contend because there's just too many other great teams in the East, and they're young. Uh, most of this team is very young, so we all know that it's it's harder to win the playoffs uh, when you are um, as young as they are. So. They're, they're, they're going to be a fun team to watch. I'm definitely going to be watching their games. Uh, but, um, yeah, they're, they're interesting, man. Yeah, they, they definitely are limited um, off the bench. But I do like the pickup of Derek Jones Jr. and Javante Green um, as guys who, can, who are uh, very versatile defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, Javante Green's a guy who – is a lot like Bruce Brown and the fact they can kind of put him uh, at the center position as a six, four guard and, and can guard uh, big men and rebound like big men. And as well as uh, shoot the ball decently. Well, not great, but decently. Um, so having a guy like that is really valuable in today's NBA as well. Um, and I think uh, Billy Donovan has a lot of um, decisions to make in terms of staggering these lineups, because especially since Kobe White will be out until November. So um, I think having DeMar DeRozan maybe running the second unit might be the way to go for these first few months of the season. Um, but uh, Io DeSumo is a guy that I look at as a rookie out of Illinois who can maybe give them some good minutes, but yeah, you're right. Definitely um, off the bench, they're limited. And um, the reason why I said they would be, they have a chance at being the five seed um, is mostly because of that starting lineup. But I, I definitely don't think this team is going to lend itself to a lot of postseason success, especially not in year one. Um, but down the line, I think they've set themselves up well to build off of this year. Right. Let me see if they had a step before we move on to our last team. I think that will be the Hornets. 
Um, the stat for the Bulls is uh, Zach Levine was one of six players who shot 50% or better on at least 502-point attempts and 40% or better on at least 253-point attempts last season. Um, so there you go. Yeah, and Nick Vucevic was one three-pointer away from being the seventh guy. He shot 39.9% from three last year. Which is yeah, crazy. you're looking at the exact same thing I am. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I saw that stat earlier today, actually. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I will say before we move on is just I think it's really underrated just how good Zach Levine was last year. Um, I mean, obviously, the Bulls didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make the play-in. But for a long time, they were right there. Um, And they started falling off mostly because of him being out. I mean, you look at his numbers. He shot 50% from the field and 42% from three. I mean, 50-42-85 splits. I mean, that's fantastic. Um, 28 points per game. And with all of the ball handlers that they added, I mean, you're looking at maybe a guy who could improve his efficiency, which is crazy to think about. Um, I think he could easily be a guy – who breaks onto the scene as a possible top 20 player instead of a top 30 player, you know? So yeah, we'll see what happens with Zach Levine. Okay. Let's talk about our last team of this podcast, right? Um, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, so let me give you a rundown of what the Charlotte Hornets did this off season, just because I have a list right in front of me. I think they had one of the best drafts um, of any NBA team uh, this past offseason. They were able to get uh, James Booknight, a versatile scoring guard uh, who can contribute right away off the bench out of UConn. Um, he's, he could end up being one of the best players in this draft. I really think that. Uh, and then they came back and drafted Kai Jones with another first-round pick, a guy, a really athletic but sort of um, not polished big. He still has some work to do, uh, but he's super ultra-athletic, big out of Texas, uh, a rim runner, a, a great shot blocker, great defender. Um, I really like some of the young talent they were able to get through the draft. Um, in terms of free agency, um, they signed Kelly Oubre, two years, $25 million, partial guarantee on the second year. Um, they signed Ish Smith. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> you say his name really fast. Two years, $9 million. Um, They also, it looks like they traded Devontae Graham to the Pelicans right. for yep. Wesley Iwindu and the rights to Tyler Harvey in a future first. Um, so take that what it's worth. Um, and they also sign uh, 
Terry Rozier to a four-year, $96 million contract extension. So you're looking at a team. Uh, oh, and in terms of what they lost, uh, Cody Zeller, Bismack Biombo, Malik Monk is no longer with them, and Brad Wanamaker. So minor losses. Um, but in terms of what you're looking at with the Hornets, um, you're looking at a starting lineup of LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier in that backcourt with Gordon Hayward, um, P.J. Washington, a young player I still like um, on this team, and then Mason Plumley uh, with Ish Smith, James Booknight, Miles Bridges, and Kelly Oubre um, potentially coming off the bench. So that's just the projection. I don't know if that will actually be what it turns out to be uh, come the actual regular season. But for me, I like their draft. I think they have enough talent to hang around and be possibly be in the um, play-in tournament. Uh, I think they'll be a, a fun team to watch, uh, but I don't know how far this particular iteration of the Hornets are going to go. Uh, but I think it all depends on, you know, the continued development of their young core, uh, better health of um, Gordon Hayward. Um, and that could be a uh, reason for optimism for the Hornets. I think they're going to be ridiculous. They're going to be ridiculously athletic and fun to watch. Um, I think they can compete for a playing spot, as I said, but progress, especially in this league, isn't always linear. Um, and they're going to have to take, you know, baby steps. Um, so what do you think um, about the Hornets? Well, they're a young team. They're going to be fun to watch. Um, first of all, they're probably one of the um, probably one of the top five teams you want to see on league pass night to night, um, if they're healthy, at least. Um, and just the key thing here is just the athleticism that they've put around the mellow ball. Um, and I feel like LaMelo Ball as a playmaker can really bring the most out of guys like James Booknight in their first year, guys like uh, Miles Bridges, obviously, hitting him on alley-oops. Um, just athlete, young athleticism overall. And just um, if they can play with pace, this team should be able to be really dangerous offensively it's just going to come down to how consistent can they be shooting the ball from the three-point line and also defensively that's always the question for young teams it's always defense right yeah i guess another concern for them could be size but i guess they're sort of i guess leaning into the small ball mm -hmm. um style of play um, so that may be a concern, but if they can, of course, be better defensively and, you know, I guess use that small ball style to their advantage, um, because they do have the athleticism to do that. Uh, maybe we see them 
in that play-in tournament. But I don't think they're going any further than that. Um, but they're going to be a fun team, to, fun team to watch. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of teams in this league right now that might not necessarily be playoff or um, you know title contenders, but if they're on TV, you should you should watch them because there's so much young talent, and there are a lot of teams that that are going to be that are going to take that next step eventually. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for our Eastern Conference preview, I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks for watching, guys. Um, I definitely uh, wasn't, at least for me, like the sharpest in terms of uh, having stats and everything ready. but. Um, we're going to get it out to y'all and we're going to continue to get back into the swing of things for the NBA uh, as we go along this season. Um, and, you know, the Eastern Conference as a whole, I mean, this, this year is just really, really fun. And so there's a lot of unknowns as well. And that makes it a little bit harder to preview. Um, but uh, like I said, thanks for watching, hit the subscribe button, like the video, um, if you're listening on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast app you're listening on, uh, thank you and, and follow and uh, add, add us five-star review. Um, all that helps us grow the, the show and helps us get out to more people. So we'd really appreciate it if you did that for us. And uh, I'll defer to you, Michael. Have you got anything else to say? Before we sign off here, uh, not a whole lot um, in terms of what adding on to what you had to say. I will say though, uh, be on the lookout for, of course, this episode. Um, hopefully, we can put timestamps on the teams that we talked about, um, so that if you don't want to um, tune into the whole episode, you can just go to those times and uh, listen to the teams that you want to you want to know about. Um, again, we do apologize for not being as prepared, but it comes with the territory. Uh, life happens. We're busy with school and a lot of other things, so we do the best that we can. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job considering the circumstances. Um, and just be on the lookout for more content. We're um, there will, of course, be this uh, episode plus a Western Conference episode being released in the next couple days before the season starts. Uh, we got a lot to talk about there. And then we'll continue with our weekly football stuff as well. So, And also uh, your, your Spurs series that you're starting as well. Yes, I will be starting that Spurs series this weekend, hopefully, or at least definitely before Wednesday. Uh, which will be their first game. They're opening up at home against the Magic. Hopefully we start 1-0, but that's a whole other story for a different day. So just be on the lookout for that as well. Um, but we're in the thick of it, man. As a sports podcast, I mean, we have the baseball playoffs about to be in the World Series here in a week or so. Um, we have NBA starting up. We have NFL, we have college football, we have everything going on right now. This is the busiest time of year. So 
just be on the lookout for a whole lot of content uh, in the upcoming near future. Um, but yeah, as always, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. The like this video, uh, listen to us, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave us a five star rating review if you do like us. Um, that that helps as well as Emmy said, and we just greatly appreciate y'all listening in general. Um, we put a lot of hard work into this, so it's good to know that we do have people that love sports and that do listen to our content. So for those of you who do, and even to those of you who don't, thank you. Uh, that's, that's all I have to say. All right. Peace out, guys.